Welcome to Double Happiness Multiplied with Sally Barker, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy, healthy family life. Welcome to Season 1 of Double Happiness Multiplied. I'm Sally Barker. On Episode 5, we're learning about the most common complications that can arise in a multiple pregnancy. Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist Associate Professor Craig Pennell explains certain conditions to be aware of, what to look out for, and what to do when you receive a diagnosis you're not expecting. Alexa Bigwarf talks about twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, and I'll share my story of intrauterine growth restriction. By the end of this episode, you'll have an in-depth understanding of the many possibilities that could affect your pregnancy. But hopefully you'll be reassured that if you're under the care of an experienced multiple births team, those obstacles can be surmounted and you'll be able to enjoy your multiple pregnancy. Once you've been diagnosed with a multiple pregnancy, there's so much to learn that falls outside what you might already know about pregnancy. When you're carrying twins, triplets or quadruplets, the risk for complications rises. And depending on what type of multiples you have on board, will determine the level of that risk and what treatment options are available to you. As maternal fetal medicine specialist, Associate Professor Craig Pennell explains, there are increased risks involved with multiple pregnancies. However, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy your pregnancy. The things that can go wrong in multiple pregnancies are divided into those that can happen to all multiples and those that are specific to certain types of multiples. For example, monochorionic, monoamniotic twins, also known as MOMOs, are 1% of twins and they are the type of twins where cord entanglement can cause problems and that is associated with a loss rate in the pregnancy of up to 50%. In all of the other types of twins where there's a membrane between them, those conditions can't occur. So if we look at twins in general, things that can happen in the first trimester, the first third of pregnancy, the first one is hyperemesis or nausea and vomiting, severe nausea and vomiting. That is very common in twin pregnancies and is often the way that a twin pregnancy is diagnosed. So with that sickness, the hyperemesis, is that dangerous in the first trimester? Hyperemesis can be dangerous to the mother if untreated. If the mother gets significantly dehydrated, which is certainly possible, then that can have quite a significant impact on their health. So the issue with hyperemesis is that if your simple treatments or interventions don't work, then you should see your doctor quickly. Often it means a stay in hospital or, or certainly a visit for three or four hours whilst you may have some fluid rehydration and maybe some medications given through a trip to try and stop the cycle of vomiting. It usually goes away at the end of the first trimester, so 13 to 14 weeks gestation. In about 10% of women, it continues all the way through pregnancy. And if that happens in your first pregnancy, it tends to recur. If you've had an uncomplicated pregnancy in the past with maybe no nausea and vomiting or some mild nausea and vomiting, then it will go away with your twins, but it may be more severe. What else do we need to look out for in the first trimester? The other thing that happens in the first trimester more commonly than with singleton pregnancies is miscarriage. Now, often this is missed, as in it's not noticed, and we know that the rate of miscarriage is higher than 
commonly believed because of the infertility studies where women are scanned from very, very early in pregnancy. So if you're having scans from five weeks, you may see what starts as a twin pregnancy that then ends as a singleton somewhere between six and 12 weeks. Whereas if your first scan is at nine weeks, then you may not realize that it started as a twin also, you can have the situation where you physically miscarry a pregnancy, so you'll lose um, pregnancy tissues and blood clots and things and still have a remaining fetus in utero. That's not very common, fortunately, because it's quite distressing for everyone involved. But the rate of miscarriage in twins is at least double, if not higher, than in singletons. The rate in higher-order multiples is increased again, and again because higher order multiples aren't very common especially with the new techniques used in assisted reproduction it's hard to give you an exact number but it would be in the order of 30 to 50 percent that you would be losing one of the embryos in the first trimester so the next thing that can happen in twin pregnancies is structural anomalies so all babies have the chance of having a structural problem, about 5% of babies. Now that could be a clubbed foot or an extra finger or a cleft lip and palate or maybe a hole in the heart or an issue with the kidney. So it can happen in any of the body systems. So with dichorionic twins, the rate is double that of a singleton, which is common sense. One baby has a rate of 5%. If you have two babies, you have two lots of 5%. With monochorionic twins or identical twins, the rate is higher than that, and that is because monochorionic twins in itself is an anomaly. Humans aren't designed to have identical twins. We are designed to cope with non-identical twins to a certain extent. And so if you have an early blastocyst splitting into two embryos, then there is an increased risk that as part of that process, there may be other issues in structural development. Some of the severe ones can be picked up at the 11 to 13 week scan and most of them are picked up at the 18 to 20 week anatomy scan. It's important to note that when you're having these scans that they will take at least twice as long because they're, they're technically quite difficult, especially with higher order multiples because it's important to make sure that you are thoroughly assessing each fetus one at a time and especially as twins get bigger. And for example, at 18 weeks with triplets, it's quite easy to move from one baby's leg to another baby's leg without necessarily realising just by turning a transducer 90 degrees to go from the femur to the tibia and fibula, the lower leg, it'd be quite easy to slip across a membrane and into another baby's legs if their legs are all together. And it's especially an issue when they're monoamniotic twins and they're both in one sac, then they can they certainly become very confused and it takes you know a skilled sonographer to do this. I think when you have a twin pregnancy, you want to go to a specialist centre who at a minimum specialises in pregnancy ultrasounds and preferably someone who specialises in ultrasounds in high-risk pregnancies because you need to have a lot of experience to do these types of scans well. Mm, and that sort of brings us on to the, the next type of complications and that would take a skilled sonographer to pick them up. Yeah, so the next complication in twins is probably the most scary, which is twin, twin transfusion syndrome, also known as TTTS. This can only occur in monochorionic twins. So monochorionic twins are the identical twins, which make up one third of twins. 
and twin-twin transfusion syndrome occurs in about one-sixth of those twins, or 15%. And this condition typically occurs between 16 and 26 weeks, and it is due to an imbalance in the blood vessels that connect the twins up across the surface of the placenta. So in identical twins, there are always connections between the arteries and veins across the surface of the placenta. If you imagine having two trees growing in the garden, as they get bigger, the roots start to intertwine. Well, that's the kind of thing that happens with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And usually there is equal sharing. So that is in the uncomplicated monochorionic twins, the five out of six, which go smoothly. But the one out of six where there's an imbalance can get twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. This is usually a rapidly progressive condition and untreated can be associated with a loss rate of up to 90%. If it's picked up and diagnosed, there are good treatments available now which give good outcomes in about 80% of pregnant women. And this is one of the issues that you've mentioned earlier about good quality scans. And this condition is almost always diagnosed on ultrasound Sometimes women present with symptoms, but most of the time the first hints are picked up on ultrasound. And then once it is picked up, you need to have much more regular monitoring going from scans every three weeks to scans weekly and sometimes scans twice weekly, even daily around the times when interventions may be required. Whilst it's a condition that you should be concerned about, if you're being managed by an experienced team, who are seeing you regularly and your care is varying dependent on what your ultrasounds are showing, then you can feel that with modern treatment that you can get better outcomes now than were possible 10 or 20 years ago. So what treatments are we talking about here? The most common treatment that is used in people who have symptomatic twin-twin transfusion syndrome is laser or laser photocoagulation. And this is where a 600 micron or 0.6 millimetre laser fibre is inserted into the uterus, into the sac of the baby that is the bigger baby with more amniotic fluid. And when you laser them, the blood flow in the vessel stops, so it coagulates the blood. And that then essentially uh, separates the twins so they then have their own independent circulation. For late onset disease, sometimes we just remove amniotic fluid to trick the body into not going into labour. And for the mildest forms of the disease, sometimes observation is okay. And in, in the mildest forms of the disease, sometimes it can go away spontaneously. So it's always important to do no harm, but to realise that twin-to-twin is a moving feast and that it needs to be reviewed very regularly because our ability to prognosticate beyond a week or so is very limited. So you mentioned symptomatic. So what, what symptoms are you talking about? When you have an imbalance in these blood vessels and flow, one of the babies tends to get bigger with more nutrition and the other one ends up smaller. The baby that is bigger and has more blood flow and more nutrition tends to pass more urine. And if it passes more urine, then you will develop excess amniotic fluid, which is called polyhydramnios. And so as the mother, your uterus will get larger and larger, often quite quickly. And so you may go from looking like you're 20 weeks pregnant to 30 weeks pregnant in two days. And that will cause pain and discomfort, sometimes nausea and vomiting, sometimes contractions or tightenings. It can put you into labour. If it's very significant, um, it can cause you to rupture your membranes and then go into labour. So that's usually what we mean by symptomatic, which is rapidly increasing abdominal size, pain, nausea and vomiting, 
sometimes contractions or a change in fetal movements. So often the smaller baby with low fluid, as it gets progressively sicker, can be very quiet and not move as much as normal, which is detectable after 20 weeks, but usually not detectable before 20. The next issue that I guess we need to look out for is growth restriction. Now, growth restriction can happen in both types of twins, but typically is more common in monochorionic twins than dichorionic twins. And so the rate of growth restriction in a normal pregnancy is about 10%. So in twins, you obviously have double that chance at least. And in monochorionic twins, it is probably closer to 30 or 40%. It's important to note, though, that twins don't grow the same as singletons. And so it's important that you have the twins assessed on twin growth charts if possible. And most experienced practices will have these available and utilize them. It's well known that in the last third of pregnancy, the rate of growth in twins is much slower, and that is a normal event. Growth restriction usually happens in dichorionic twins in the last third of pregnancy. In monochorionic twins, it can start earlier, sometimes as early as 12 to 15 weeks. You can notice a significant growth discordance between the twins. The issues really that are the prime challenges in the last third of pregnancy are the common things that can happen in all pregnancies, which is preterm birth, preeclampsia and gestational diabetes. When you have twice the placental volume, you are more than twice as likely to get gestational diabetes. The mechanism for gestational diabetes is the placental tissue produces a protein called human placental lactogen and that blocks the way insulin works. Now, in a normal pregnancy, that response increases the blood glucose to help the rate of growth in the fetus. In someone who has gestational diabetes, that high level of human placental lactogen goes beyond normal in its response, and that then causes high blood sugars in the mother, and that can have an adverse consequence on the fetus. So when you have two placentas, you're more likely to get it, and you're more likely to get it earlier. Preeclampsia similarly is related to the volume of placental tissue, hence it's more common and it can be earlier. The vast majority of twins are now delivered early in terms of before the end of their 37th week of gestation, but the twins that we would worry about the most are those that go into labour before 28 weeks and 34 weeks. And so if you start having contractions or tightenings or fluid leaking or bleeding, then it's important you go and see your doctor to make sure that if you are having signs of going into labour early, that steps can be taken to try and stop it or at least to make sure the babies are born in as good a condition as possible. Twins are more likely to have fetal death in utero or stillbirth than singletons. Fortunately, in dichorionic twins, this is very uncommon. So the rate of stillbirth in singleton pregnancies in the developed world is about 9 per 1,000. And in twins, in the dichorionic twins, it's double to triple that, whereas in monochorionic twins, the rate can be certainly much higher if things aren't managed carefully. This can occur at any stage across the whole pregnancy. In probably the greatest risk would be very early in pregnancy, so between four and eight weeks. And then for dichorionic twins, it is in the probably over 32-week gestation group where you start noticing growth issues. In monochorionic twins, growth issues in stillbirth can be a problem between 16 and 24 weeks. And how about your higher order multiples? How does this all fit in with that? 
the primary issue with higher order multiples is growth restriction and preterm birth. And in that situation, preterm birth is 100% in triplets and quads. And the question really is, is how early? And with triplets, we're generally looking at delivery around 34 weeks and higher orders would go earlier than that. I think that the take-home message is that there are lots of risks with twin pregnancies, but all of these risks are relatively small. And it's only when you list them one after another that it starts to sound quite scary and quite daunting. For dichorionic twins, so non-identical twins, really you're looking at you know small increases above singleton rates and if you're being looked after by you know a good obstetrician and experienced team you can look at your pregnancy in a very favorable manner and the aim should be just to get as close to 37 to 38 weeks as possible. Monochorionic twins are certainly much more of a challenge and again care with someone who specializes in this type of twins is the best option if you can arrange that. Alexa Bigwarf agrees with Associate Professor Pennell and admits that if she'd been with a team that specialises in multiple pregnancies when she was diagnosed with an identical twin pregnancy, her life would be vastly different to what it is today. You see, Alexa has systemic lupus and Hashimoto's disease. So when she discovered she was pregnant with her third baby, her doctor called her in straight away, despite being just six weeks pregnant, but she was classed as a high risk. So I get in there and she's doing her thing with that wonderful ultrasound wand. And uh, and she says to me, you know, I think I'm going to schedule a follow-up with you in about two weeks. She said, I just want to make sure that that's not too. <laughs> I was like, is that normal protocol? Because I came in so early because I'd never been in that early before. I usually don't go in until eight, 10 weeks, you know. And I said, is that normal protocol or, or do you see two heartbeats? And she's like, um, I, I'm pretty sure I see two. I'm going to go get the doctor and just check. And I'm sitting here like, oh, my God, oh, what is happening here? So the doctor came in and confirmed and she's like, yep, it's definitely two. Come on back in two weeks and we'll make we'll just check and make sure there's still two and all this stuff. So I'm like, OK. So I called my husband and I'm like, hey, babe. He said, how'd it go? I said, good. Both heartbeats look great. And he said, what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, both heartbeats look good. And he hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was messing with him. <laughs> I just let him have his moment. <laughs> he called me back about 30 minutes later and he was like, are there really two? And I said, yes, I'm not that mean. So, you know, we went through this and we're like, how does this even happen? There are no twins. How are there twins? Why? Why? And, and I'm like, well, I'm almost 35. Maybe I released two eggs. Who knows? But it turns out when we went back for the next ultrasound, they were sharing a placenta. And the doctor told me that they were identical. And I was like, how does this even happen? And she was like, we don't know. We have no idea why the egg splits. And for me, this began a process of education right at that moment because I was like, okay, so anybody can have twins. Anybody, whether they, they come in the, you know, in the family or not, because they don't know what makes the egg split. And I'll never forget that day is like burned into my mind because I remember the doctor very nonchalantly, very nonchalantly saying to me, sometimes with twins that share a placenta like this, one of them will get too much of the placenta and the other one won't get enough and they're not sharing the fluids and everything equally. And she was like, and if that happens, there's stuff we can do. And she just said it so like, no big deal. And I'm thinking, 
She's the doctor. She knows what she's talking about. Okay. And I went on my way and didn't think anything about it. And I constantly wonder like how different my life would be today if she had said the words twin to twin transfusion syndrome, if she had said anything to indicate that it would be something that we should follow closely. You know, I understand to a degree why doctors don't want you to get all crazy and on Google and looking at things because when you go look, there's a lot of really, really bad stuff. I understand that. But at the same time, strange things happened over the course of the next mm, 10 weeks. And because I went to an obstetrician where you didn't see the same doctor two times in a row, generally speaking, they wanted to alternate you through the doctors so that when you went into labor, if one of the other doctors on call was there, you wouldn't freak out, which I guess I understand 90% of the time. I don't understand in high-risk pregnancies whatsoever because what happened was they skipped my 16-week ultrasound. I never had twins before. I wasn't looking up twin to twin transfusion syndrome because she didn't mention to it and she didn't say anything about it. When we went in for the 20 week ultrasound, they diagnosed us officially with twin to twin transfusion syndrome and we were already stage three, which meant we were well on our way to one baby dying, if not both babies dying. And in fact, when the doctor talked to me, and this is another thing that whew, doctors in their bedside manner, she basically in such a kind <laughs> sarcasm dripping here, kind manner says, you have twin to twin transfusion syndrome and we believe both of your babies are going to die. And then she admitted me to L&D. So off we go in a wheelchair to labor and delivery in the poor hospital because I think every person in that hospital probably heard me wailing because I had no idea what was going on. And I just like, I was grieving tremendously. And <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a horrible situation. Luckily, that woman was wrong. I'd like to use a stronger term, but we'll just stick with woman. So they transferred me to an MFM, which they should have done far earlier in my pregnancy, but they finally transferred me to him. We were able to have an amnio reduction. He wasn't as up to speed on twin to twin transfusion syndrome as he should have been. There were some missteps taken along the way, some bad information, some procedures that probably could have happened that didn't happen because of his lack of awareness and knowledge on the subject. And for the next 10 weeks, I was in and out of the hospital. So with TTTS, the recipient baby receives too much of the placenta. So she was getting way too much fluid and it was causing fluid to build up in her body. Her heart, basically the entire right side was so overwhelmed by the fluid that the entire right side stopped functioning, which just caused further issues because fluid wasn't pumping as it should be. So she developed hydrops fatalis, which is um, fluid buildup in the major cavities. So she had it really badly in her abdomen, around her heart, and uh, we believe later on in the pregnancy in her brain as well. The other baby was basically being starved to death. She wasn't getting enough fluid and was very, very, very small. They were 100% discord in size, right? So one was 50% too big and the other was 50% too small. So we went through 10 weeks of amnio reduction, both on my abdomen and from my daughter's abdomen, which was both a frightening and interesting procedure to watch. I wound up going into labor when I was about 30 weeks and I think it was five days. We had an emergency C-section because there was no way Catherine could have survived a vaginal delivery. I think Catherine had to be resuscitated. She was the larger baby with high drops. And when she was born, I've still never shared the pictures publicly, 
the best way to describe it is if you've ever seen pictures of babies and little children in countries where they're starving and their bellies are distended and they look like they're pregnant. She had so much fluid in her abdomen that it was just swollen to like the max extent. And um, they were able to resuscitate her. The little one, we had just like literally just cleared viability with her. She was finally, even though they were 30 weeks, she was about the size of a 24, 25 weeker teeny tiny one pound 10 ounces but she squeaked when she was born it sounded like a little bird and that was the most exciting sound both of them rushed off to the NICU Catherine survived for two days but they were never able to stabilize her and Karis spent 84 days 12 weeks in the NICU and most of her problem was that she just couldn't figure out how to suck swallow and breathe at the same time like many preemies. There's a common theme when I talk with people who've experienced a multiple pregnancy There's the initial shock when hearing the diagnosis and then there's the steep learning curve while attempting to understand the type of multiple they're carrying and then the complications. Looking back, I think I was in a state of shock for months because it seemed as though there were only a handful of weeks where I wasn't faced with the prospect of losing one or both of my babies. Most people would shrug off my concerns about the discordance in size of the girls with comments like, one twin is always bigger than the other. Even my private obstetrician dismissed my concerns before I decided he wasn't the right person to guide me through my pregnancy. What these people didn't realise was with my diagnosis of intrauterine growth restriction, or IUGR, I was carrying a ticking time bomb. You see, IUGR in a twin pregnancy is a condition where one or both babies don't grow in the manner that's expected due to an uneven share of the placenta. What that means is that these babies are much smaller than other babies of the same gestational age. Fortunately, following the recommendation of the sonographer at the specialised imaging centre I went to for my 12-week scan, I went to the local tertiary hospital in Perth, Western Australia two weeks later to have a follow-up assessment. Another scan was scheduled at 16 weeks. It was at this stage I was placed in the care of the GOLD team, which is a group of highly skilled specialists who have extensive experience with multiple births. The management of my pregnancy was such that I was seen twice a week and sometimes three times. I knew that the girls would be preterm, there was no doubt about that, but just how early was a waiting game. During the scans, close attention was placed on the blood flow to my smaller baby, Asher, who it turned out had a cord insertion at the lower edge of the placenta, which meant she was only getting about 25% of the nutrients she needed. At 24 weeks gestation, the blood flow to Asher had slowed and showed signs of reversing. It was explained that the girls would need to be delivered and their chance of survival was slim. However, there had been cases where following a corticosteroid injection, the condition could stabilise. Thankfully for us, that's exactly what happened. We were hoping to get to at least 30 weeks gestation and I was so certain we'd get there. But when that blood flow stopped again at just 28 weeks, this time there would be no intervention. The girls were so tiny, just 825 grams or 1.8 pounds, and 1,075 grams, or 2.3 pounds. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 5 of Double Happiness Multiplied. There are some great free downloads on the Double Happiness Multiplied website to help you on your journey with multiples. On Episode 6, we talk about your couple relationship and why it's important to nurture it before, during and after your multiple pregnancy. We'll hear from psychologist Dr Greta Little, who offers some practical tips to help keep you on track. Rebecca Perry and Janelle Snadden share their stories of the struggles they had in their relationships while carrying their multiples and after they were born. 
And I talk about the pressure the complications in my twin pregnancy put on my couple relationship. I hope you're enjoying Season 1 of Double Happiness Multiplied. If you are, it would be great if you could leave me a review or a rating. Until next time, I wish you double happiness multiplied. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform and should not be used to diagnose any medical condition. It's no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it doesn't constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Instead, I encourage you to discuss your options with a healthcare provider who specialises in multiple births. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience and conclusions. Thank you for listening to Double Happiness Multiplied, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy and healthy family life. Remember to head over to doublehappinessmultiplied.com to get access to more great resources.